Welcome to Chowder and Grits, the podcast for ACC and Hokies football. Today is Monday, September 16th. I'm Justin Cochola alongside Tim Hurth. We are recapping week three of ACC football action. Was not the best week uh, that we've seen across the ACC. A lot of uh, a lot of big upsets, a lot of uh, just poor play. Uh, a couple of good games that we'll talk talk about. But uh, first off, Tim, what's going on? Hanging out, you know. Uh, got a good NFL Sunday, and I just wanted to say, uh, NFL primetime is back for any ESPN Plus subscribers out there. So if you have any fond memories of Chris Berman and Tom Jackson going over the NFL highlights of the day. I highly, highly recommend you pay that $5 a month to get ESPN+. Plus. Uh, this is not an ad. I'm just saying that because I love NFL primetime. Yeah, NFL is certainly back. You know, we had my Green Bay Packers go uh, 2-0 today. You know, laid the law down on the Minnesota Vikings. We had the Bears somehow pull off a miracle timeout. I'm uh, still not sure how that happened. Terrible um, roughing the passer call yeah, on that last drive. Yeah, but the NFL uh, has to figure that out. I mean, there have been multiple, multiple iffy roughing the passer calls this week, and I'm just really getting tired of it. Um, they need to start specifying what kind of roughing the passer call they're calling when they're making that, whether it be a high hit, a low hit, excessive force. Um, they need to start delineating so we know how to and who to address our anger towards. Yeah, you know, it's uh, we're to the point now where everything is getting reviewed almost in the NFL. So you've got the pass interference calls being reviewed. I'm sure roughing the passer calls will soon be a reviewable item because it seems to happen quite a bit. And, uh, oh, yeah. you know, as a Packers fan, it happened uh, multiple times last year to Clay Matthews that cost us games when there no doubt was not a roughing the passer. So, you know, it's one of those uh, frustrating, frustrating things about football, but uh, that's just the way it goes sometimes, you know? Absolutely. So, Tim, Saturday was an interesting day. Uh, well, really, I should say Friday night and uh, and Saturday was an interesting day. But, you know, we're a ACC and Hokies podcast, so we always like to get started with the Hokies. And, uh, you know, Virginia Tech, they, they went into uh, this weekend's game with Furman as a 21-point favorite. And, uh, you know, once again, they they struggled offensively. And to be honest, I thought the defense played pretty solid. You know, Furman, you know, I'm not trying to make excuses here. Furman is a good FCS team. Uh, That being said, they're still an FCS team. So you got to come out and take care of business. You know, the defense gave up some points, uh, but it was after turnovers for the most part. Um, with the shorter fields, you know, they didn't, uh, I'm not going to say the defense had a stellar game, but I thought they, they played fine. It's once again, it's the offense that's really, uh, that's really setting this team back, which, which is, um, which is concerning because when Fuente came here, you know, we thought, you know, we were going to see the tide turn for Virginia tech offense. And, uh, that just hasn't happened this year. And, you know, watching the game, live you know I had the sense that you know Ryan Willis wasn't playing well I didn't think he was playing awful I just didn't think he was playing well and sure there's there's things he can go and clean up but watching it back today I watched the uh, condensed game so you're not seeing every single play but you're seeing enough and I mean there's no doubt the offensive line had 
had an up and down day yesterday. Specifically, Silas Zanzi had oh, had a yeah. terrible day, yeah. uh, and he he admitted that. I mean, the worst game I've ever seen him play. Like he just couldn't block anybody. the The other thing this team has an issue doing is picking up the blitz because every time it seems like there's a linebacker blitz or anybody blitzing off the edge, they come in unblocked. Right. And it was play after play where this happened and it just ruined drives every single time. It would either be a second and long or a third and long. And, you know, Willis would get hit or, you know, a lot of times it was a read option where the guys are in the backfield almost immediately and there's nothing to do but take a huge, a huge, uh, a huge loss as far as yardage is concerned. So, you know, I thought the offensive line played better in the second half. And, you know, we rolled out three freshmen, essentially, two true freshmen and Brian Hudson. Hudson played at center. We had uh, Doug Nestor at right guard. And then at right tackle, um, Luke Tenuta came in to, to replace Zanzi. But, you know, there was a period there in that second half where we got Kashawn King going. And once he got going and once we started feeding him the ball, I think we kind of saw a glimpse as to what this offense could be. But it's pretty clear that this offense has to be able to run the ball in order to be successful because with the plays that Corneliuson is calling, if you if you want to criticize Ryan Willis, that's fine. You know, again, I didn't think he played good yesterday, but going back and rewatching it, I don't think he played bad either. He went out and executed the offense that he was supposed to go out and execute. And it's very clear that the play calling is what's really holding this offense back because there was multiple times on third down where you're just throwing a little dump off pass over the middle. It's a two-step drop, dump off over the middle. The ball barely goes a yard past the line of scrimmage, and then boom, the receiver's hit, and you're out, and you're punting. I don't know how many times we're going to call that little screen pass across the middle on third and long, but against Furman, Tim, we literally threw the Hokies literally did not throw the ball downfield more over 20 yards one time. Right. And I just don't, I just don't understand that. And you've got a quarterback who's got a decent arm. He throws a very good long ball and you don't take any shots. And you've got a team that's loaded at wide receiver, probably the best unit on your football team. And you're underutilizing them. The receivers yesterday were more effective on the ground than they were through the air. That doesn't make any sense. Nope. You know, you've got Trey Turner. You've got Hezekiah Grimsley. You've got James Mitchell. You've got Dalton Keene. You know, you don't have Damon Hazleton right now. You've got Travion Robinson. You've got Caleb Smith. The list goes on. And we're not utilizing these guys. Now, the Jets, the Jets sweep worked effectively yesterday on more times than once. Which probably the first time that surprise we could say that in the Fuente era, but right. something's got to change with what's going on offensively. And you know, you can be critical of Ryan Willis, but at the end of the day, I really don't think it's on Ryan Willis. He does have to play better. He does need to get better at reading the uh, the option plays. But at the end of the day, it's very clear that it's the offensive play calling is what's holding this team back in. I just don't know what it's going to change. So, yeah, I agree. I don't know if it's play calling. Um, it's certainly part play calling, but I think it's a lot scheme as well. 
Um, and the offensive line, as you mentioned, you pointed out Silas, but our entire offensive line hasn't really made a market improvement in four years. And that's certainly concerning, especially in blitz pickup, as you mentioned. Um, that's been awful. And um, that's the part that gives me less hope. I would have more hope if it was Ryan Willis that I thought was the problem. I don't think Ryan Willis is the problem. I think Cornelson is a problem. I think Vance Vice certainly hasn't done enough uh, on the offensive coaching side of the ball to be considered uh, in good standing with me right now. Um, there are problems with our scheme. And then this goes into Brad Cornelson's hands. I think his play calling is suspect, but I think the entire offensive scheme is far too passive. Um, we don't throw the ball downfield. We don't stretch the ball vertically. Uh, and that's that's can really hurt us when teams start to pack the box with defenders as well. Um, you know, there's a lot going on with the Hokies offense that I don't love. And it's it's been going on for a while. And it's an area in which you'd expect to see improvement. You expect that you wouldn't have this much trouble, given that, as you mentioned, Fuente was brought in to do one thing, and that's to put a good offense out on the field. And scoring uh, in the 20s against Furman just isn't going to cut it. Getting 300-ish total yards on offense against Furman isn't going to cut it. This is year four. This is year four, and we struggled to beat Furman at home. Um, if he hasn't already, he's going to lose the fan base, and the momentum around the program is going to completely screech uh, to a halt. And, and that's what I'm most scared of is uh, when does that happen? Because it seems like it's, it's slowly leaking. Uh, like sand through an hourglass at this point. It's only a matter of time before this thing gets out, uh, you know, away from him. Um, and I'm hopeful we'll turn it around. I mean, we have the pieces there to play. Look at, look at, like you said, Kashawn King looks fantastic. I mean, he had a gear that we haven't seen a Hokies running back have since David Wilson. Um, that's just a fact when it comes to Kashawn. Uh, I think Ryan Willis could get the job done if we schemed him properly, if we stretched the field vertically. I'm not ready to give up on the season, but man, what a good time for a bye week. Yeah, it's uh, actually, in fact, Fuente said, I'm really glad we're not playing next week. So I don't know what to make of that uh, coming from your head coach. And yeah, that's, you know, that's a terrible loser mentality comment right there. My the thing is, it's like, OK, so you open the season against Boston College, which we'll talk about them in a second. And. Then you play Old Dominion last last week. You don't look like you're expected to look. You're a 28-point favorite. You went by two touchdowns. And then you got Furman. And listen, Ryan Willis goes 17 for 21. He only had 123 yards passing. Ugh. He completed 17 of 21 passes for 123 yards. So what does that tell you right there? It tells you two things. One, you're not throwing the ball downfield. Most likely, there's not a lot of options to run the ball downfield. And two, it, it was probably a lot of quick reads because the offensive line wasn't doing their job up front. Now, I don't know where the, like I mentioned before, where the you know responsibility lies with not being able to pick up blitzes. You know, that is part of the quarterback's job. Uh, but consistently, they weren't being picked up. The running backs weren't blocking through the holes when that, that that's the one thing I've noticed is, there's no there's no blocking by the running back by the backfield. It's an RPO option. You know, Dalton Keene will lead the way. He'll go through whatever hole he's supposed to go to. That's the only time you ever see kind of a lead blocker coming out of the backfield for the Hokies right now. So I'm I'm not really sure what's going on there. There's no added piece of protection. 
and a lot of times Willis doesn't even have time to react. So if you if you look at the breakdown for carries, Tim, you know, Kashawn King broke the 54 yarder, which which really kind of set up uh, the first score. Yeah. And, you know, finished with 12 carries, 119 yards. He probably would have had a few more, but he got a little bit banged up. Sounds like he's going to be okay. Outside of that, our our second leading rusher was Trey Turner. Five carries, 68 yards, and a touchdown, which he had the uh, last touchdown of the game for the Hokies. Deshaun McLeese, once again, 10 carries, 24 yards. Not good enough. Caleb Stewart, one carry, three yards, fumbled, didn't come back into the game. Right. Deshaun King... Deshaun McLeese and Caleb Stewart were the only three actual running backs to touch the football. James Mitchell had a rushing touchdown. Tavion Robinson had a jet sweep carry for 21 yards. We have other running backs on the on the roster. Why they're not getting looks or action instead of McLeese, I have no idea. But whoever is in charge of personnel for the offense, they need to be removed of their duties. And... <laughs> I believe it's Corneliuson, and until Fuente comes in, and I know Fuente's pulling guys because of fumbling, but I think the offensive coordinator is the guy who is responsible for putting guys in and pulling guys out on and off the field for the most part. Something's got to change there, and until it does, it's just going to be much of the same, and I got news for you. Uh, There's going to be stronger opponents uh, coming in uh, than Furman, uh, unless we're talking about Rhode Island. And Duke is one of those opponents, and they're coming up in a couple of weeks here. So uh, there's a lot to focus on on the offensive side of the ball. Like I said, I thought defensively Virginia Tech played pretty well. You know, they had four sacks. They were in the backfield quite a bit. You know, Darren Granger is uh, is a pretty good quarterback for being a redshirt freshman. Um, and he, he was held pretty much in check, you know. Um, what Furman did offensively didn't really impress me much. I wasn't shocked that they had 17 points. I kind of expected them to get a couple of touchdowns in this game, but to only score 24 points on offense, it's just it's just not acceptable. I can't really say it any more than that. Something has got to give with this offense. And, you know, we're to the point now where let's say Virginia Tech doesn't get this figured out, Tim. Let's say they lose to Duke. They lose to Miami back-to-back weeks. Are we are we going to see a change at the quarterback position? Because yesterday we had three freshmen on the offensive line. We had a freshman running back in the backfield. We got a bunch of sophomores and freshmen at receiver. If I'm watching a two-and-three, two-and-four football team and I'm a Virginia Tech fan, I'm ready to see what the sophomore and the freshman can do on the roster. Nothing against Ryan Willis at that point, because like I said, unless he's starting to play bad, he is making some poor decisions with the football. I'm not excusing that. But at the end of the day, there's going to have to become a cutoff point to where we need to see what we have in Hooker and Quincy Patterson to better understand what's going to happen in the future. Because if you don't understand what you have in those guys, then you're going into next season with a more experienced group, a more experienced core around them, with absolutely no idea what's going on at your quarterback position. And I don't think that's going to be acceptable for the Virginia Tech fan base. If the Hokies get this figured out and Ryan Willis, you know, starts to really grow into this offense and the play calling gets better and Virginia Tech starts moving the ball offensively, then I'm all for it. 
keep it coming. But right now, I'm just kind of in no man's land with with everything that's going on, and I'm I'm really kind of tired of watching it because it, it's just the same story every single week in the press conferences. Oh, we need yeah. to go out and execute better. Oh, we need to get better coaching. Oh, we need to play better. You know, this guy, this guy, that guy, that guy. I don't care. Go out yeah. and fix it. I'm tired right. of hearing about it. Right. And I've just I've been hearing about it for two years. Go fix it. Right. Yeah, if I hear execution again, I think I'm going to have nightmares. Um, but when you're talking about getting, changing the quarterback, I mean, sure, anything to give this team some spark. I'm not, I'm not sold that Ryan Willis isn't the guy, but I'm certainly not sold that he is the guy at this point. Um, the only issue is I don't know how much you can trust our staff's ability to identify talent and get it on the field, given what's going on with Kashawn King. Um, to me, clear in a way, he looks like he has an athletic ability that is so far and away different from any other tailback that we have on that team. And we've just now gotten to the point where he started to see the field a little bit consistently. Um, that's concerning to me that we had all offseason to make that determination, and we weren't able to do it. Um, I am afraid. I'm afraid that the scheme stuff never gets figured out because the schemes had this lack of aggression issue um, and this inconsistency issue for, for two years badly. Um, Gerard Evans was able to hide a lot of it. And, and honestly, with Gerard Evans, I don't know if we change the scheme or not, but the Hokies could move the football under Gerard Evans. Um, with Josh Jackson, outside of the first few games of his of his freshman season, um, you know, I'm not so sure that we were able to see the best of him either. And uh, it's surprising. But as you said, we're at the point now where I need to stop hearing the coach speak in the interviews. I need to stop hearing it. I need to start seeing results in the field. And if these results in the field aren't going to be there, changes need to be made. Changes needed to be made last offseason. Okay? And obviously, we're in a position where we can't really do a whole lot with Fuente because of that buyout. Thank you, Witt. There's only so much we can do. But if changes do need to be made, I really hope Justin Fuente is able to act on that and make changes. Um, I'm going to suggest we start with making changes at an offensive line coach and offensive coordinator. No one's going to listen to me, and that's fine. But those are the two areas we are going to have to see improvement to get to where we want to get by the end of the season. And I'm not super hopeful that that's going to happen after a nail-biter against Furman. Yeah, and I mean, I, I, understand, why, I understand why the offensive line may be struggling. A lot of inexperience in that group right now. So sure. I'm okay with that group kind of sputtering along from time to time. I thought they got better throughout the game, which I thought was a positive. Silas Anzi, like I said, had a horrendous game. He, it, he was the first to admit it. I think that'll come back corrected. But I, I, I'm going to take what, what I saw the offensive line come back as in the second half as a positive. Um, well, let me, let me ask you this then. Our, our run game has done nothing but decline over the last four years. We haven't been able to do anything in Justin Fuente's era as far as moving the football goes, nor have we been able to control the line of scrimmage. Do you not see that as partly responsibility of an offensive line coach? Uh, well, yeah, but I also, like, who? it's not like we had a well-defined running back over the last four years. Right. Well, I mean, I mean, but attribute that to the offensive line partially as well. If we had better offensive line play, I know Trayvon McMillan was talented enough to get that done. 
Trayvon McMillan was talented enough to be a thousand yard rusher in college. Oh, for sure. For sure. And, I was and, and uh, unhappy when he decided to leave. That, that, I mean, Trayvon McMillan was running into the backs of offensive linemen because we don't, we can't open holes as an offensive line. We get no push as an offensive line. Now, I will say this. It's not totally on the offensive line coach. It's not totally on Vance Vice. But scheming, you can certainly do things from an offensive coordinator's standpoint to make running the ball easier as well. I am not in love with our read option offense. I think our read option offense is a poor rendition of a read option offense. Well, so we need me, to figure out what offense we need to run to, or we need to maybe we go to just a more natural spread and start working in some off tackle runs and, and mixing up the run game because it seems like we've got three run plays in our playbook. Right. I mean, I, I would do anything to see a counter. I would do anything to see a counter. To me, it it doesn't fit Ryan Willis's skill set. The no, read option, it, that's that's very clear. Now, if you've got Hooker or Patterson back there, you would suspect that that fits them to a T. Well, guess what? They're not on the field. So we've decided to go with Ryan Willis. That's the coaching staff. Why don't we call plays that fit Ryan Willis's game a little bit better? Because he can move out of the pocket if he needs to, but he's not a dynamic runner. You don't want him leaving the pocket intentionally you know, three out of six snaps. You just don't want that to happen. You want him to sit back. You want him to throw. You want him to look downfield. That's just not happening right now. And a lot Agreed. of it is because of the play calling. And I'll say this, and then we'll we'll just move on. The one thing that I took as a positive in this game was when Trey Turner fumbled, Wednesday pulled him aside, had a little chat with him. What happened? Turner went out there. Redeemed right himself, back. had a huge game. Yeah, and Fuente deserves credit for that. I'm that not a was fan nice of, of Fuente's firm stance on fumbling. If it's somebody who hasn't fumbled uh, often, you know, and, and Trey Turner is yeah. a guy that hasn't coughed it up. So I'm I'm happy to see Fuente not being uh, hard line on the fumbling rule there. And I'll yeah. say, you know, Keyshawn King, like whatever lesson there was to learn from last week. Oh, gosh. He seems to have kind of taken it in stride and saying, you know, sure. just have to hold on to the football. So, that I mean, that's what you want out of a young guy. You don't want him to, to rebel against the coaching staff there. But I thought him starting the game meant something that either the coaches thought, you know, maybe – I don't think the coaches started him because they felt like they overreacted. But maybe how he responded in practice was what they wanted to see. And, I mean, if Keyshawn King is healthy – and he's not the starting running back for the rest of the season. Uh, I just can't even imagine that day at this point. It because can't, it can't there's, there's nobody on this roster that we've seen. And we've only seen really four running backs. Uh, and one of them's hurt. Uh, that has any business carrying the majority of the carries more than Keyshawn King. So a couple of positives from this game. One, the offensive line started to look better in the second half. When we're running the football with Sean King, the offense seems to move the ball a lot more efficiently. You know, it Absolutely. opens up the passing game. Okay. Absolutely. Give the guy the rock. That being said, I don't know how many touches he's going to get because of his size. Uh, one thing I did like is he did show the ability to catch the ball out of the backfield. Sure. So, you know, he can be a receiver. He can be a runner. Um, I, 
I'd be surprised if he's getting more than 20 touches a game, to be honest, just with how we've seen running backs managed over the years and just because of how young he is. But it's his job to kind of make sure that he's getting those touches with with the play that he has on the field. So I'm looking forward to him. Uh, and I'm really just looking forward to maybe utilizing the uh, the wide receivers that we have on this roster because I truly believe they are the second uh most talented group of any team in the ACC behind Clemson that is. Uh, and right now we're just kind of, we're just, we're just wasting it. So yep. uh, until the coaches can figure out how to get them more involved in the actual aerial attack, um, I think it's going to be much, much of the same for Virginia tech. So they need to go back to, you know, maybe looking at some tape from 2016 with Gerard Evans, Gerard, Gerard Evans could move out of the pocket a little bit, but they wanted to keep him primarily in the pocket throwing the football. We're not seeing that offense right now. No. And if you recall, that was the year we got to the ACC championship. So, you know, one one other thing I'd like to say is I'm really kind of tired of seeing people leave the stands at halftime. Sure. Like, what what else do you got going on in your day? You're already at the football game. Were you planning to come for a quarter and a half and then leave? Like, what what are you trying to prove by leaving? Yeah. And, you know, it just, it feels very Miami to me. And I don't like it, to be, to be honest. And I don't care if the team is underperforming. That's part of football. It's a young football team. You got to get out there. If you're going to go to the game, be at the game. If you're not going to go to the game, you're going to watch on your couch, that's fine. But if you're going to be at the game, don't leave in the second quarter. Agreed. I just, I just, Agreed. Don't, I just don't understand that. You, you hate to see it, but um, you know, I think if you keep coming out and, and the fans show up and see the same kind of performance that they saw Saturday, it's not going to improve either, which is the sad part. So hopefully uh, we're able to make some tweaks and we keep those butts in the seats. But I just wanted to, to note, you, you made a good tweet, I thought, on our Chatter Gets and Grits Twitter account. Uh, follow us if you don't already. Um, but that was that the 55-yard run by Kashawn King was the most impressive run in the Fuente era. And I just wanted to point out how accurate that was. Um, that was a fantastic effort from Kashawn King. And, and what a breath of fresh air to see that kind of run uh, coming out of the Hokie backfield. No doubt. Hopefully it's the the first of many. And, uh, you know, Virginia Tech, they've got they got a few days to work on things. They're off this week and then they play Friday night at Lane Stadium against Duke. Duke also uh, has a bye this week as well. So both teams will be coming in there fresh 13 days off, I believe it is. So, uh, hey, Lane should be rocking on a Friday night. Uh, Let's go out, build off that momentum and, uh, you know, just. Just take each week one at a time. And, you know, the the other thing I, I see is just people reacting to everything that everybody else is doing as far as ACC football teams. I don't care if we're playing a team on the last game of November like we do every single year. I don't, I don't care how they look right now. It's September 15th. If you think I'm going to be worried about playing UVA, the day after Thanksgiving on September 15th, like just stop, just stop worrying about it. It doesn't matter right now. Take each week at a time, 
Virginia Tech is not very good as we sit here on September 16th or whatever day it is. There's plenty of time to get better. So That's in, it's an eternity away. And, you know, not to spoil what I'm going to say about Virginia, but Virginia Tech's not looking like world beaters either at the moment. Um, so let's all calm down on that front. I couldn't agree more. Let's, you know, all the hand wringing and stuff already on the UVA game. Uh, yeah. Find something and else and to stop. Worry about. Stop responding and, and retweeting Eric Kuma and Chris Cunningham and anybody who left the program or has anything negative to say because all you're doing is giving those guys a platform. And sure. if Eric Kuma and Chris Cunningham want to continue to talk trash after getting beat last week, I'm good for them. But they came here and they lost. So I don't understand why we keep giving these guys airtime. I don't care. They're not yeah. here. Stop putting your energy into those people. Move on. Let's focus on what we got here. I think this team can turn it around. I, I think so, too. I might be like delusional. I said, you may be. Hell, I may be. Um, and part of it is the fact that I'm a Hokie fan and I'm a forever an optimist, even when I have no reason to be. Uh, but there are still pieces on this team. Those same reasons that we were uh, optimistic in the offseason are the same reasons that I'm hopeful uh, that we'll figure out our season uh, right now at the end of uh, week three. So... I, I get it. We haven't looked good, but there are pieces on this team. The defense has made some strides. Everybody hang tight. Uh, there's still a chance that Fuente and company can get this thing uh, turned around. So let's move on. Let's start going around the ACC here. So more good news. Uh, Boston College, Tim. A 21-point favorite at home against Kansas. So... <sighs> Les Miles and Kansas coming to town. They had to rally against Indiana State. They won by a touchdown. They lost to Coastal right. Carolina, a team in their second year in the FBS. This was the first time Kansas won on the road against a Power 5 opponent since October 4th, 2008. 48 straight losses. Kansas has had two road wins total yeah. since 2009. Central Michigan last year and UTEP in 2009. That's how bad Kansas is. Yeah. So I'd like to welcome Boston College to the club for being one of the teams that has lost to Kansas uh, in, in this century. Uh, but, of course, go. that being said, Kansas beat Virginia Tech in an Orange Bowl in, two, I guess, what year was it? 2007 football seven. season? I believe it was seven. And uh, But, hey, they were in the Orange Bowl, so that was an acceptable loss, in my opinion. And they um, had Akeeb Tlaib. That was a different Akeeb Kansas Tlaib, game Todd than Reesing. the one we're talking about now. Yeah, they had, they had some ballers. Yeah. Uh, so this one, Tim, you know, the Kansas offensive line was just parting. Dominant. The Boston yeah. College defense. It was like they weren't even on the field. It right. looked like Boston College was playing with four defenders. The Kansas offensive line was just eating them up. I have never seen anything like it with the team that was coming in that was so overmatched as to what we thought they were right. had played so poorly this year to come in and dominate Boston college. Like they did. 
I mean, that's why Steve Adazio is going to get fired right there. Yeah, it is. I mean, that just cannot for him. It just can't happen. You cannot lose to Kansas ever, really, and you can't lose to them at home. Yeah. Okay. I mean, I I really don't even know what else to say about it. Kansas had forty-five carries for three hundred twenty-nine yards. They averaged seven point three yards per carry. Anthony Brown didn't look very good. You know, AJ Dillon had a good first half, but. You know, they got down, they 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 were uh they were down 28, 24 at halftime. They didn't score again. And Kansas came out and scored three touchdowns right off the bat pretty much in the second half. They couldn't run the football. And so it just became trying to uh be the Anthony Brown show and it just didn't happen. Like <laughs> Boston College, anything they tried, it just didn't work. So I, I don't have much more to say about that one. It was just a complete and utter shock. Um I don't know what that really means for Boston College, uh, but I will say, you know, the the joke the joke of the night was, well, you know, how bad must Virginia Tech be or, you know, whatever. You know, there was a year where Virginia Tech lost to James Madison, 2011. Yeah. Uh, Virginia Tech ended up going 11-2 and that season. So are you going to tell me that every team Virginia Tech beat, that team was worse than James Madison? It just doesn't it just doesn't work that way. Boston College didn't show up on Friday night. I don't know where they were. I don't know what they were doing. But the team just didn't arrive. And it was it was probably the most embarrassing loss. I mean it was definitely the most embarrassing loss in the Adazio era. It was probably one of the more embarrassing losses that the ACC has ever had, to be honest. Right. It was. Um I'm going to channel my inner Dennis Green here and just basically say uh, they are who we thought they were. Uh, This is the Boston College we expected to see, or at least I expected to see from the jump. Um, Yeah. Defensive line wasn't able to put up much of a fight against Kansas, and uh, we expected that defense to struggle. I see this game as a regression to the mean, um, and that's about it. There's not really much more to say about it. This was the Boston College team I always expected to see. Uh, so where do they go from here? Is it is it more regression towards the mean, or are they going to look like the Boston College team uh, we saw for the prior two weeks? Um, you know, I'm not sure, but obviously this is a game that's going to be hard to get over. Um, and shout out to Kansas. They ran the ball so well, it was frightening against Boston College. Uh, you know, especially Khalil Herbert, who had uh, 180 yards on the ground and about 17 yards of carry. Um, so, you know, shouts to Les Miles, shouts to Kansas. That was a huge monkey they were able to get off their back. I just wish it hadn't happened to an ACC team. Uh, so the other game Friday night, Tim, Wake Forest, UNC. Uh, Wake really kind of outlasted North Carolina here. They got up 21 nothing, uh, you know, in the second quarter. Uh, this actually was a non-conference game. I didn't realize that going into it. And, you know, what I find odd is that the talk among some is that UNC had a hard time getting up for this game. Do you want to run that one by me again? Because <laughs> last time I checked, UNC isn't a very good football program at the moment. They weren't good last year. They weren't good the year before. And you're going to tell me you have a hard time getting up for a game against an in-state rival? No, 
no, that, that's impossible. You, you don't not get up for a game if you're UNC. You're no. UNC, okay? You're not Clemson. You're not Bama. You're not even Iowa. You have a game, you get up for it. So if that was right. actually an issue, that to me is a huge problem. Yeah. They had nine drives in the first half, Tim. Six of them were three and outs. 71 first half yards, 0 for 8 on third down. And then you actually go and bench Sam Howell in the second right. quarter. And I'm of the mindset to where Sam Howell's the only reason you're 2 and 0. And you decided to go with the true freshman. Benching him is counterproductive at this point in time. Was he playing well? No. He looked terrible. But what happened at the end of the game? The same thing that happened in the first two games. He got you back in it. He gave you a chance to win. Sam Howell wasn't giving up three touchdowns. That was the defense's fault. He needs to go out there and play better. But for Phil Longo to pull him, that just made absolutely zero sense to me. I don't know what your stance was on it. Yeah, I mean, I guess if you looked at it in a vacuum, it didn't make sense. I think it got the intended results would be the counter argument to that. Did it though? Because I mean, I mean it, he's he's he been a better second half game. guy. Yeah, I agree, but he got him back in the game. So if you were looking to get his attention, I think it may have worked. I'm not sure I agree with the benching because I'd like to not make my quarterbacks feel like they're on a short leash. Um, if I'm in that position, and I think the only thing you would do for Sam Howell in that situation is hurt his confidence, um, which as a freshman quarterback is going to be the most important thing to your uh, to your quarterback there. But I can see the, the counter argument there, which is, hey, it, it got him refocused. It got him back in the game. Um, but yeah, it, hey, big props to Wake Forest. That was a defense that really hadn't performed well. Uh, yet this season, and, and and they came up big against North Carolina, um, winning a close one, just like I thought they would. Uh, you know, Wake Forest is a scary team this year. I think they're uh, they're certainly a team that has a lot of promise. Um, and if it wasn't for that stall after their uh, three quick touchdowns, I'd be a lot higher on them. Uh, but what they're doing is very very impressive. Yeah, I think we both had a Wake, and uh, you know, I think uh, I expected it to be a little bit more of a shootout than it was. And it looked like Wake Forest was going to score a lot of points there in the first half for a second. But uh, it slowed down a little bit in the second half. The Jamie Newman to Sage Surratt was quite the uh, quite the duo that night. But, um, you know, I, even though they were not great offensively in the second half, that final drive by Newman, uh, you know, that 12-play 61-yard drive, it drained five minutes off the clock left yeah. North Carolina, very little time to do anything. Got the field goal. That was uh that was a, a big time drive in my opinion. So, um, Wake Forest goes on They're three and O, uh, everybody asks about who the second best team in the ACC is. I think Wake Forest in the conversation. Yep. Uh, yeah. and that might not be a sexy pick for some people, but that's just the way it is right now. So wake is looking good. Uh, I, I I was pretty uh, surprised with how their defense played. Uh, so hopefully they can build off of that momentum um, going into next week. Uh, another game, Tim, that I pretty much pegged exactly. Uh, Penn State beats Pitt 17-10. to 
I thought this game was going to be closer than the spread, which was 17 points. I thought neither team would get over 20, and it ended up being a pretty good defensive matchup. So, uh, you know, one thing I'll say is Kenny Pickett performed better than I thought he would. Absolutely. Uh, the uh, the pit defense really kind of neutralized Sean Clifford. He only had uh, 220 yards passing on 14 of 30 passing. And, uh, you know, the, the Penn State running game, you know, again, didn't look great. Journey Brown did have a nice game, 10 carries, 109 yards. But other than that, everybody else was kept in check. Uh, Jordan Stout, Hokie fans may remember, since he was on the team last year, uh, he kicked a 57-yard field goal to tie the game um, earlier earlier on in the afternoon to tie that up at 10. But, you know, I think the biggest thing for me is the pit defense is legit. And it's going to keep them in games this year. They have a very strong secondary. Their defensive line is very good, even though they've had two really big injuries to that defensive line. Um, And the running game looked good. So they had 372 yards rushing in this one. Uh, Taysir Mack uh, led the team in rushing. But the issue right now for me is Kenny Pickett has been better than I think either you or I expected. Um, and he's not losing them games, but he's not winning them games either. So this game was winnable. And they came up short in a couple of big situations. And the one biggest one, Tim, was the the fourth and one decision. On the one-yard line to kick the field goal when the score is 17 to 10 at the time, 14 to 10. I don't, I don't even remember what the score was. But Pitt had the chance to either tie it or go ahead, and they decided to kick a field goal. They ended up missing, and they never really got a chance to get— they did have a chance at the end of the game, but not a good one uh, to right. tie it up. So that, that was a tough one for me. I uh, personally would have gone for it. Um, I kind of understand why they didn't, but I kind of don't. Because at the end of the day, you're only going to be down by four. You still had to score a touchdown. Uh, so kicking a field goal there really didn't do a whole lot for you at that moment. Uh, because it's not like a field goal was going to get you back into the game. So my takeaway from this was I think Pitt is going to be in games this year. I think their defense is going to win them some games. I don't think Penn State is that good. And no. I expect them to kind of be towards the middle of the pack in the Big Ten this year. Um, so we'll uh, we'll see if that holds. But, you know, what were your thoughts on this one? Yeah, my thoughts are the same as yours. Uh, I, I think Pickett had a strong game, um, certainly racked up the yardage. And uh, that's been surprising for, to me with how well he's rebounded and how well he's played so far um, after starting off pretty shaky. But we'll see what he does. You know, if, if they can continue to get better and better games out of uh, Kenny Pickett, Along with that defense, Pitt has the potential to, to you know, repeat again as Coastal Champs. Um, and, and it's, you know, it, it, it could be no shock given that that's Narduzzi, Narduzzi's background, uh, you know, as a defensive coordinator with Michigan State. Penn State on the flip side, tons of talent. Um, hard to say really what's going on there with James Franklin. And, and they continue to look like a team that's on the backslide, um, you know, having issues with recruiting and decommitments. And now the performance on the field starting to lag behind. They don't look like a strong Big Twelve or Big Ten team, um, and who knows where they go from here? Uh, it'll be interesting to keep an eye on that. But yeah, uh, 
props to Pitt. Uh, they kept it close, and, and Pitt certainly looks like a strong uh, coastal contender at this point in the season. Uh, NC State loses to West Virginia Tim 44-27. Uh, Wolfpack were six-and-a-half-point favorites on the road. It was their first big test of the season, and they uh, they came up short. What was uh, yeah. What was your take on this one? Uh, you know, I, I just thought Matt McKay underperformed. Uh, you know, some of the stuff that you had seen in the first two games against ECU and Western Carolina for NC State uh, was Matt McKay playing pretty well, playing under control, not making mistakes, but also missing some deep passes. Um, this game was completely different in the fact that he was also missing his short passes. Uh, you know, there was a point in that game where I thought that NC State may go to Bailey Hockman and I'm not sure what they're going to do now because they may have to go to Hogman uh, if, if they think that they can't get uh, what they need from Matt McKay uh, because Matt McKay was what was holding that offense up. Um, you know, West Virginia came out. I think West Virginia uh, kind of wanted to show that they were better than they proved or better than they had shown against uh, Missouri, and they did that. They, were, they certainly attacked NC State on the edges, and what is and I think still is a strong NC State defense got absolutely – uh, exposed against the Mountaineers and uh, the environment was raucous. So props to the crowd, uh, you know, West Virginia typically packs the house and they did again and they were extremely loud. Um, but this game was all about NC state's inability to defend um, and, and all, more so about the lack of uh, good quarterback play uh, from Matt McKay. So, uh, you know, I don't know how they go about shoring that up, um, and I don't know if this is the right time to make a change, but if you're NC State, if you're Dave Dorn, you're certainly thinking about making changes in the quarterback room. Yeah, I mean, McKay played pretty poorly, just wildly inaccurate. Uh, I didn't think the offensive line had a very good day. Only 97 no. yards in the second half. Yeah. What What really surprised me, Tim, was the defensive performance. Uh, West Virginia entered the game averaging 1.1 yards per carry. Sure. And they got 6.2 against NC State with two offensive linemen injured. Right. So that to me was the biggest kind of like aha moment. Like what happened here? I mean, you know, it's always nice going home, playing in front of a big crowd. I get that. West Virginia is not an easy place to play. Uh, but yeah, that was a, that was a disappointing game for NC State. But I'll look for mm-hmm. Dave Doran to write the ship. I'm sure he will. Um, but that was uh, that was a tough pill to swallow there. It was um, Florida State at number twenty five UVA. So this this game, Tim, it was a good one for the most part. Uh, but FSU once again just pulled an FSU. So it's clear to me that Willie Taggart is not fit to be a head coach at the Power Five level, possibly no. really any level. And you know, on this final drive, James Blackman had a slow start just in the game overall, but ended up having a nice a nice day. But he had one of the worst overthrows you'll ever see in a big moment. And <laughs> UVA had just given FSU 30 yards and penalties. Blackman has Tamari and Terry wide open. Probably by seven to eight yards. And overthrows him. Right. Uh, he, Terry would have walked into the, into the end zone. But UVA wasn't done moving the Seminoles up the field. There was a personal foul on fourth and five that gave FSU new life. Two plays later, Bryce Hall called for pass interference. Ball's now in the 16. UVA literally moved Florida State 60 yards on this final drive. And on the third down, 
with 19 seconds left, Blackman finally hits a receiver for 16 yards. The guy doesn't get out of bounds. There's about six seconds left on the clock, give or take. And instead of running up and trying to snap the ball, hey, hey, Willie, how about we tell our team that you spike the football and get the right play in there, go out and execute the play? No. You know what they do, Tim? They instead direct snap it to Cam Akers, who gets stuffed, and UVA wins the game. Now, if I'm an FSU fan, I'm furious. I don't care whose call it was. I don't care if it was Willie Taggart's. I don't care if it was Kendall Bryles. I don't care if it was Bobby Bowden's. Spike <laughs> the football. Right. Like what? Right. What is going through your mind on the sideline to tell them to run up and give a direct snap to your running back? Sure. Three yards away, out of the shotgun. What are you thinking? And I don't know if you remember on the play. Uh, I don't think the right tackle ever got the message. The right tackle dropped no. back like he was in pass pro. There was just guys walking around, like looking around, like, "Oh, is is the clock stopped? No, guys, right. it's running." Right. Get I mean, set. That was just that was just bad. You add that to uh, again the insane penalties that Florida State is racking up. Um, that's a team with absolutely zero discipline. And that is one of those areas that is a direct reflection of your head coach. Yeah. A direct reflection. And I think that is, you know, the worst thing about this Florida State team is they've got all the talent in the world, but they're not playing as a team. And they're certainly not able to go out and play a clean football game. Um, the yeah. fact that they made this so close goes to show how much talent is on that team. But again, the end of the game and the penalties that killed them just show you why there is a gulf between UVA and Florida State at the moment. Well, I got to tell you, like the number of personal fouls and just boneheaded plays in that fourth quarter by both teams was mind blowing. Mind boggling. To have UVA literally commit four huge penalties on that final drive, that to me was stunning. Yeah. And. You know, Florida State, again, got outscored in the fourth quarter, this time 21-7. to UVA's offense was on the field for 40 minutes Ooh. in that game. So, once again, that means if UVA's offense is on the field, Willie, that means your defense is on the field for right. 40 minutes. That's right. unacceptable. Something it. has to be changed with the pace of the offense that you're running. You have leads. You're winning in almost every game that you're in. And you blow every game that you're in because your defense is absolutely gassed. And all you do is continue to call out the defense and tell them that they need to play better. Yeah. yeah. They're on the field. Almost the entire game. Something's got to give. And it's not going to give until Willie Taggart's out of there. Because the guy is just not fit to be a head coach. He clearly has an undisciplined football team. He cannot adapt to what's going on in the game. And clearly with the offense that they're running, it's obviously detrimental to them winning football games. Because it ain't working. 
Right. And we've seen it time and time again. And, you know, for UVA, I wasn't really that impressed with what I saw. I thought the defense played well. You know, they held Cam Akers in check, but, you know, they were barely on the field. They were on the field for 20 minutes. So yeah. they should have played well. And I don't think Perkins is 100% healthy. I think that's pretty clear. I think the best part of his game is being able to make plays after the play breaks down. Him oh, as a no passer, question. standalone, uh, I'm not sold on it. And, no. you know, the two-point conversion, you know, that put them up by a touchdown, you know, that was just obviously a fantastic play by him. Um, but at the end of the day, there was a couple of hits on on uh, Perkins in that game, and I wasn't sure he was going to get up and, and be able to stay in the game. So, uh, right. so that's something that they need to monitor and watch. Uh, so, you know, they're 3-0 and for now. 2-0 and in the ACC. First time starting 3-0 and uh, since 2005. Uh, but I got I got news for you. If you're the higher-ranked team, stay off the field. Yeah, Act no like question. you've maybe been there before. I realize you haven't because you're UVA, but that was a joke. Yeah, that, just was, beat that was weird. One win Florida State, who almost lost to UL Monroe, and you're rushing on the field like you just beat somebody. Yeah, that was weird. Um, you know, I, I'm not one of those guys that likes to yell at fans for rushing the field. Uh, but usually it's at least a team in the top 25. This was jumping the shark completely. Um, and, and Rush I'm the sure, field if it makes sense. Yeah. I'm all for sense, it. All for but it. this one didn't make sense. Not at all. Um, and I'm with you on, on Bryce. Bryce's ability to improvise is stunningly good. That is the the best thing you can say about Bryce as a quarterback is he can turn an absolute disaster of a play into a 20-yard gain. And that is so valuable in the college game that it's hard to put a price tag on it. Um, as, a, as a passer, sure, Bryce leaves a lot to be desired. Uh, he throws balls in double coverage and, and, and takes some risks that don't need to be taken. What, what UVA is going to have to worry about is, like you said, the hits he was taking were brutal. And the more they let him run, uh, the more chances are they're going to have uh, a tough road to hoe because they don't have an ability to have a run game outside of Bryce Perkins. Tula Papa, again, got the ball a lot. I uh, wasn't able to do much on the ground, and I don't think any running back on UVA is going to have the same dynamic ability that Bryce Perkins has. So if you lose Bryce Perkins, you immediately change the entire scope of that offense in a way that I don't think UVA will be able to rebound from. So that's certainly something they're going to have to look at and try to limit. Um, but again, UVA's defense uh, came up strong when it needed to come up strong, and uh, they get another huge win, and, and everybody's happy in Charlottesville with the progress that Bronco has made. Uh, and we'll certainly see if it's able to continue. But again, if you're a UVA fan, you're sitting there tuning in every Saturday, worrying about whether or not Bryce is going to be able to finish the game or not. Yeah, and Tula Papa, he did have three rushing touchdowns in this game, but only 2.9 yards per carry. So, right, right. You know, he was just punching uh, in from the goal line, but right. Um, Basically, you know, a goal it's line hard back. To say he was effective. Yeah. So, Clemson at Syracuse, and you know, this is a game, Tim, that could have been a lot more interesting in the third quarter. It was 17 to six, and Trevor Lawrence forced a pass on the sideline. It was batted up in the air, tipped, picked off. Syracuse takes it down to the Clemson four-yard line. Next play, 
Tommy DeVito throws an interception to Mario Kendricks. And that's just kind of how the night went for Syracuse. <laughs> I have a feeling that's kind of how the season is going to go. Uh, three plays later after that, Lawrence just throws a simple out route to Amari Rogers, and he goes 87 yards. So instead right. of being down 17-9, maybe 17-13, now you're down 24-6. to And against Clemson, you just cannot make those kinds of mistakes. Um, nope. Next next series or a couple series later, Lawrence throws another interception, and it's returned down the Clemson three yard line, and the Clemson defense stops him four times. The offense can't get in the end zone, so the Syracuse offense is clear clearly holding this team back a little bit. Not to excuse the defense from last last week, uh, giving up 63 points against Maryland, who got brought back down to earth this week, losing to Temple 20-17. to But Syracuse, I thought they played okay defensively at, at times in this game. Uh, but at the end of the day, they gave up 600-plus yards to Clemson. Trevor Lawrence had almost 400 yards passing, three touchdowns. He did make some mistakes. Uh, but otherwise, you know, he he looked like Trevor Lawrence. So Syracuse on the flip side only had 15 yards rushing, 187 total yards. And uh, yeah, that's just not going to get it done. So no. tough, uh, no. tough loss for Dino at home in the home opener. The place was packed, but didn't have a lot to cheer about. Yeah. And at this point, we're uh, we're going to have to start worrying uh, intensely about whether or not Syracuse is a, going to be able to recover and put together an offensive season uh, that'll get them to a respectable record. Um, not thrilled with what I've seen out of DeVito. Um, obviously, he leaves a lot to be desired, and Mo Neal, especially on the ground, needs to be able to do more for Syracuse to sustain success this year. Um, that's going to be tough for Dino to get right. I think that they... Uh, the hope that they had and, and the hope that they placed on DeVito is, is turning out to uh, be misplaced, sadly. Um, if you're looking at the Clemson, the only real storyline I have from Clemson in this game is Trevor Lawrence is making a little bit of mistakes, um, uncharacteristic, and, and certainly uh, still performing at a high level. It's just you don't expect to see those mistakes, and that's something they're going to want to tighten up, obviously, before they get into the college football playoffs. So. Uh, we'll keep all our eyes on Trevor Lawrence and see how he does as far as game management moving forward. Uh, Duke destroys Middle Tennessee 41 to 18. So, you know, Duke really dominated this game from start to finish. They were up 31 to three at halftime. Quentin Harris had another great game. He yep. only had three incompletions, 24, 27, had four touchdowns in, through the air. He also had 112 yards rushing. So, uh, that is going to be pretty difficult, I think, for the Hokies coming up. So they've got a lot of work to do to prepare for Quentin Harris because he looks like he has kind of found his niche. Now, that being said, the last two weeks they've played North Carolina A&T and Middle Tennessee. Uh, the Middle Tennessee defense didn't look very good. Uh, but that being said, uh, neither does Virginia Tech. So Harris, uh, Harris seems like he's kind of settling in there with the Blue Devils. Aaron Young. I don't know if you saw the two touchdown catches that he had, specifically the first one. Man, that was uh, that was a wild touchdown catch. Spectacular. So, um, I mean, Duke looked good. They had six sacks in the game. Uh, outgained Middle Tennessee four sixty three to three thirty nine. Um, 
I think a lot of those yards came in the second half for uh, for Middle Tennessee. But you know, good uh, good game for Duke. Uh, they've rebounded, it seems, from the opener against Alabama. So they're two and one, and uh, they open up conference play on September 27th at Lane Stadium. So that is going to be a a big game for both schools. Yeah, it's going to be a big game, and uh, no surprise that Harris is doing well, given that you know Cutcliffe has an ability to go out there and get a lot out of his quarterback position. Um, you know, it, it's hard to see where Middle Tennessee State is at this point. Um, you know, but the Blue Raiders definitely uh, didn't look up to up to snuff when compared to the Blue Devils. Uh, Duke again carrying the day, and they're getting great performances at a good time. I wasn't expecting. Uh, Mr. Harris to have these kind of games this early in the season, and that bodes well for Duke moving forward. Yeah, it seems like Middle Tennessee are always tough to assess because they play a lot of very difficult opponents in the right. beginning of the season um, with maybe kind of like a, an FCS-level team thrown in. So you really don't have a a lot to go off of, but um, their two losses are against Michigan and Duke. So, you know, that's Hard to not— judge that horrible and they play iowa next week so it just continues uh bethune cookman zero miami 63 so miami 41 point favorite they did what a 41 point favorite should do tim they won big congratulations uh jaron williams three touchdowns dj dallas three touchdowns uh the biggest thing that i took away from this game was nikosi perry came in at quarterback after Jaron Williams and we didn't see Tate Martell. No. Can't so watch 2019 continues. Yeah. So Martell, uh, Martell had one carry for three yards. Uh, the Miami defense only allowed 137 yards and four first downs the entire game. So good performance by them. Uh, not going to take away too much from this one. Uh, this was a overmatched opponent, uh, but Miami did what they were supposed to do. I had a really good thought thinking about Tate Martell the other day, and it was how great of an Army quarterback would he make? Granted, he'd have to probably shave his head or at least get a uh, less flashy haircut, but the guy could run the heck out of a triple option offense. Oh, no doubt. Uh, Speaking of triple option, Tim, uh, the Citadel at Georgia Tech. Uh, Georgia Tech doesn't run the triple option anymore, but they probably wish they did yesterday. Um, (laughs) They were a 27 and a half point favorite and only scored 24 points. They lost by three to the Citadel in overtime. And this was a team, the Bulldogs, that is the Citadel Bulldogs that never trailed and came into the game with losses to Towson and Elon. And for a second there, it looked like Georgia Tech won because they had the game-winning touchdown. But then there was apparently a timeout called right before the snap. And they ended up having to settle for a field goal, going to overtime, and they lose the game. So 17 total passes attempted in this one, only eight completed. That's combined between both teams. The Citadel outgained Georgia Tech 320 to 183 on the ground. And believe it or not, Georgia Tech couldn't figure out how to stop the triple option. So that was pretty surprising to me considering they've been doing nothing but practicing against the triple option uh, for the last couple of years. But, um, you know, is what it is. That's a tough loss for uh, for Jeff Collins and company. 
Uh, that being said, I don't think anybody's really going to hold it against Georgia Tech so much because everybody knows where Georgia Tech is at as a program right now. Um, but that being said, it was the Citadel, and you just you just shouldn't lose to them. No, that's that's one of those losses that's pretty unacceptable, no matter where your football program is. Um, but you know, tip your cat to those uh, soon-to-be Marines. Citadel win in there, and then got a pretty big win. Uh, you know, probably the biggest win that they've had in school history. So, uh, you know, that first win over happen. an ACC team. That's for sure. Yeah. So big win for them. Uh, Swaggy G uh, certainly won't like this, but I don't think it's it's too incriminating on Georgia Tech's side either. I mean, uh, that was always a team that was a long way uh, from being competitive, and you know, they're going to have to take some of those lumps this year and. This is probably going to be the worst. So if you're looking for a silver lining, it's not going to suck this bad anymore. Yeah, that's quite the silver lining. Uh, Louisville tops the Hilltoppers. See what I did there? I did. 38-21. Jawan Pass actually didn't play in this one. Uh, Malik Cunningham got the start. Pass had a, a foot injury, I believe. And uh, Cunningham was okay. He uh, completed 50% of his passes, 119 yards, two touchdowns. Uh, uh, Toot Atwell had a very nice day receiving. He caught four catches, 141 yards, and three touchdowns. And that guy can just kind of run by everybody on the field. So uh, he uh, he had a nice day. Javion Hawkins had 19 carries, 93 yards. So it was a good day for Louisville. They got their second win of the year. Um, and I'll be interested to to see what they look like going up against some of the uh, some of the other schools in the ACC. Yeah, I'm liking the early returns so far on Satterfield. I think uh, the run game has been schemed extraordinarily well uh, in Louisville. And that's something I don't think we were ready for. But given the fact that uh, Dwayne Ledford was able to jump on in the offseason, uh, a guy who had been integral to uh, getting NC State, a couple of back-to-back-to-back 1,000-yard rushers. Not necessarily surprising that Louisville's going out there and, and having their way uh, with the rushing attack. I mean, you know, the passing attack also not been bad. I think that the Louisville Cardinals are going to be a little bit better than we thought they were in year one with Scott Satterfield. So any, uh, any final words, Tim, before we sign off? No final words. I just want to circle back to Virginia Tech and speak to everyone out there listening. I don't want to come off as sounding too negative. Um, but, you know, there wasn't a whole lot to be positive about this Furman game. So bear with us. Um, don't, don't, look, uh, don't get too down on the season. Again, it's one game, even though, you know, the signs of a lot of issues that have been there forever were still present. Um, the, the bye week is a perfect time to where that coaching staff can go in there and make changes. Um, and yeah, just uh, one step at a time for the Hokies out there. And, uh, the ACC coastal continues to look like it's going to be an absolute bloodbath this year. Yeah. There's still a lot to be decided in the ACC coastal and, uh, Really, right now, the ACC is looking like a one-trick pony with uh, with Clemson. But, you know, you've got UVA, who's undefeated in the ACC at 2-0. and uh, you got Wake Forest, who's been pretty good so far. So uh, there are some teams that have uh, that have played better than others this year, but still a long way to go. 
And sure. I think as we get further into the season, we're going to see, you know, programs like Miami start to turn a corner. Uh, hopefully see Virginia Tech do the same. But, uh, you know, that's why they play the games. You know, everybody at this point in the season, they're they're searching for wins. I can't find any wins. I can't find five wins. I can't find six wins. Guess what? You don't find wins. Right. You got to go out and get wins. And that's what football is. And uh, I think there's still plenty of time in the season. We're only halfway through September. Um, but uh, it's it's time to start turning the page and, and start executing a little bit better for, for some of those teams that we're talking about here. So if you're joining us for the first time, go out, hit that subscribe button, uh, tell your friends, Share our uh, content wherever you are listening. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter at Chowder and Grits. Like us on Facebook at Chowder and Grits. And uh, you can listen to our podcast pretty much anywhere you listen to podcasts. Uh, but Apple Podcasts and uh, Spotify seem to be the top two. Uh, Tim, why don't you tell these people what they can do for us? Leave us some reviews. Give us some five-star reviews. Let us know what we're doing. Let us know what we can do better for you guys. Uh, give us some ideas of what you'd like to hear us do as far as programming goes and maybe some segments we could throw in here on our previews and reviews um, if not just interact with us on twitter talk to us talk to us on facebook uh, we love all of the interaction that we've had and it's picked up so again uh, you know watching the twitter feed this weekend was pretty entertaining uh, so thank you guys for that uh, that'll do it for me and justin today but I just wanted to go ahead and leave you guys with a go ACC and the Kashan King prize in 2020. See you guys later.